0: Good morning, church. Happy Labor Day weekend. Y'all showed out today. I was not expecting a lot of people on Labor Day weekend, but y'all showed out. I like it. Um, welcome kids to service, right? No pressure. Like do what your mom and dad said, but no pressure, right? It's okay. It's comfortable, it's safe, except for y'all over there I'm watching you. Right, those are mine. Um, yeah, good morning. Um, like Josh said, my name is Brett. Ferris, And um, kind of on the daily, like many of y'all, I'm working hard to be a husband, right, to my wife, Ashley. Um, on the daily, I'm working hard to be a dad to our four kiddos. Um, and then when I'm not busy doing that, I work in the restaurant business. Um, here at the church, I do uh, serve on the hospitality team, uh, specifically I lead the setup and teardown team, so the guys that come in here that you never see, but who come in every Sunday and turn a dance studio into a place of worship, um, shout out to those guys because they kill it every Sunday. Um, I also lead the, the smiling faces out at the front, the greeting team, that, that is super welcoming each Sunday. So um, really, really happy to be here with y'all this morning, thanks for having me up here, um, Last week, we finished up a series on surrender, and next week, we're going to start a series on the Sermon on the Mount. So I get to be sandwiched in between and stand alone, and so that means I get to pick, right? And so I chose to preach on the passage of Scripture um, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So we are going to be in John chapter 13 this morning, and we're going to walk through verse 17 um, and so if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phones, go ahead and turn there. And while you do that, I'm going to do a quick exercise with you, okay? And I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I hope you're okay with that. If you're not, well, sorry. Um, but I'm going to force you to do something out loud this morning, okay? Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but when preachers are up on the stage, it is really encouraging when people in the seats say things like, amen, right? As they're teaching like that. And, and I'm, I'm not an amen guy. I'm a uh-huh guy, right? I'm more of the mm-hmm kind of thing, right? So this is not, trust me, I know here it's not necessarily comfortable. So I'm going to make you do it because I'm the one on the stage. And so I'm going to make you do it. All right. Um, because yes, selfishly, that's going to encourage me. But Really, like it's important for you to know that when you, when you do that, when you acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it encourages the people around you, right? It, it, it draws attention to something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and then the people around you can, can, can join in with you in that, right? So it, it, may, it may be something that like somebody was nodding off or not paying attention, and, and you say amen to that, and like, wait a minute, oh. That might have been important, right, and they go back to it. Or it could be something that the Holy Spirit speaks to you that resonates with you, and somebody sitting around you hears you acknowledge that, and they're like, oh, I'm not the only one, right? And in their head, they didn't say it out loud, but they're saying, amen, thank you, Jesus, right? So I'm going to make you do it out loud, right? So I'm going to get you in the right mindset. We're going we're gonna to go to a place that draws that That response from you, okay? So close your eyes with me and we're going to go to this place. This this should resonate with most of you, right? But So just imagine that you just got eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, right? And imagine that you just woke up and you're the only one awake and you make it through an entire cup of coffee without the phone going off, without an email, without a kid interrupting you. You make it through the whole cup of coffee. Are you there? Amen. And God's people said, amen. amen, right? If you just said amen, you're an amen guy. If you just said mm mm-hmm, in your head, you're with me, you're an uh-huh guy, okay? So for the rest of this morning, I'm giving you permission to speak out loud and to agree, okay? And if you still just can't do that, I've paid off a few people that are going to do that anyway to make me feel better. So you know who you are, all right? You'll know when to do it. All right, here we go. John chapter thirteen. Uh, John chapter thirteen is known as the Upper Room discourse, and it's one of three great discourses that Jesus gives throughout the course of his ministry. Right? Discourse is just a fancy word for a sermon or teaching, right? And each of these three discourses have fancy names, but they're just given the names based on where Jesus is when he's speaking. Right? So the first of those three is the Sermon on the Mount, called that because Jesus is on the side of the mountain when he's teaching. Um, and the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And here Jesus serves as the final prophet, speaking on behalf of God, um, speaking the word of God to people, establishing who God is, and then how the people are to respond in light of who God is. The second of the great discourses is called the Olivet Discourse. Um, It's just called that because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives when he's preaching, okay? And the Olivet Discourse is all about Jesus' second coming. Jesus is establishing himself as the Davidic king or the coming king, right? So um, the Olivet Discourse, he's establishing establishing himself as king. And in the third great discourse, um, it it is called the Upper Room Discourse. Again, just called that because Jesus is in the upper room of a house as he's preaching, um, now, this one is the longest of the three discourses that Jesus gives. John uses chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 to capture the whole thing. And in the upper room discourse, we find Christ as our priest, right? Or the bridge over the gap between God and mankind. Um, in the Old Testament, it was the priest who would enter into the Holy of Holies in order to offer a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people that that priest represented. And we know that Jesus entered Calvary, died on a cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, making him priest, all right? So quick summary of Christ's roles in his ministry, make him prophet, one who speaks on behalf of God, the Sermon on the Mount, makes him king, right, the supreme authority over a nation in the Olivet Discourse, and third, makes him priest, right, the bridge over the gap between God and man, the Upper Room Discourse. Now, don't worry, don't freak out, I'm not going to preach through, like, the whole Upper Room Discourse, right, um, at Providence North, the way we roll verse by verse, that would take months, right, which, by the way, is something that I love about this church, is that we dig in that deep, um, but no, I'm just going to do, do the passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Um, like I said, I work in the restaurant business. Um, and it, at work, we are often giving feedback to employees, right? Quite often, actually. Um, and we use um, a model that follows um, th- this model called what, so what, now what, right? And it, it's, it's defining what a behavior is. So what are the consequences of that behavior, good or bad? Um, and now what are we going to do about it moving forward in the future? Um, and I think this model is really good uh, for unpacking this scripture as well. Um, so I grew up in First Baptist Church Denton, right? So I'm going to channel my inner First Baptist Church and give you three bullet points to write down on your bulletin, right? So get your bulletin out. Amen. a boy, right? Get your bulletin out. Get your pen. And we're going to write these three things down, right? And I'm a good Baptist, and so they all have the word what in them okay? Um, So what, so what, now what? We're going to unpack those three things, but I'm going to give you the spoiler alert, right? The what is the gospel, right? In this scripture, Jesus illustrates the gospel in the washing of the disciples' feet. The so what, in light of the gospel, the consequences are that we are now washed clean and now have access to in fellowship with God the Father. And the now what What do we do about it moving forward? Well, Jesus is going to tell us what to do. He's going to call us to action in what to do moving forward. All right, so let's dig into the scriptures, see what the Lord has for us. So in verse 1 of John chapter 13, it says this. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus, knowing that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That was wrapped around him. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that despite of me, your word can speak to our hearts, that your word is truth, and that we can rest in that. Father, and this morning I simply pray that that your word would permeate our minds, it would permeate our hearts, and that we would walk out of here changed because of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, so in verse one, John is setting the tone, right? He's he's building context around what is happening. So as Jesus enters this upper room and sits down to the Last Supper with his disciples, there is there's kind of a storm brewing outside as well, right? And John sheds light on what that storm brewing is, right? Um, it, it is Jesus' road to the cross. Right? There are there are six different times in the book of John leading up to this scripture where it states that Jesus's time had not yet come. And and here in verse 1 we find that Jesus's hour had now come to depart out of this world. So as Jesus sits down to this meal what John is telling us is that he knows exactly what waits for him on the other side of this meal, right? And what is that? What waits for him? It's the cross. It is the road to Calvary, right? So Jesus can sit down to this Last Supper with his 12 closest disciples knowing full well that what waits for him is not just death, right? This is not just, like, where, like, Jesus dies and, and like, fades off, you know, softly into death. No, this is the cross, y'all. This is one of the, the... most violent, one of the most cruel, one of the most humiliating experiences that anyone could ever imagine that ends up in death that he did not even deserve. And he knows that that is what waits for him on the other side of this meal, right? Um, And so then at the end of verse 1, John does something else. John begins to land the plane on Jesus's time spent on earth with these 12 men. It's kind of like giving a eulogy at a funeral where you, where you kind of cap um, someone's life, except John does this um, before Jesus actually dies. Um, and so in the scripture it reads um, that, the, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John's kind of like saying, hey man, like Jesus like he he loved these guys, right? And he loved them to the end. There are some translations that say he loved them to the utter most, right? It's 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 coming to a close, and John is saying, man, he loved these guys to the end. One of my favorite pastors, uh, Tommy Nelson, Denton Bible Church, puts really really good words to articulate this kind of love he he explains what the love that jesus loved these guys with is like and he says this he says it's when you come from the highest point to the lowest point to take the worst of people and bring them to the greatest of blessings that's how jesus loved right jesus came from his highest point down to the lowest point. To meet who? To meet the worst of people and take them to the greatest of blessings. These guys in this room, he loved them to the uttermost. Pick him back up in verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Rose from supper. Now, what John does in verse 3 here is John establishes who Jesus is, because this is crucial to the the, the illustration that Jesus is going to give in the washing of the disciples' feet, right? Because all of that is to illustrate the gospel. And the gospel um, is is rooted in, is founded on Jesus being who he says he is. Right? Because at Calvary, there were three guys up on crosses, right? There were two other guys on either side of him that were just murderers that died, right? What made Jesus different is that he is who he says he is. And John is establishing that here. Um, I don't know if any of y'all speak another language or speak Spanglish like I do, right? But there are times when you don't have the word to get to what you're saying. There's one word and you just don't have it. And so you kind of have to take the long way around, right? And so that's what John is doing. Here, he, he is saying that Jesus is God incarnate, right? He, but he doesn't have that word. He's saying that Jesus is deity, but he doesn't have that word. So he takes the long way around. He says that, that Jesus had come from God and was going back to God, right? He is, John is saying that Jesus is deity. And then John does something cool. John begins to build momentum into what's unfolding next. All right, so we're going to read verse 4 and 5, but normally we read out of the English Standard Version, the ESV, but I'm going to switch over to the NASB for this because it does something really interesting, okay? It's going to be on the screen behind me. Verse 4, Jesus got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. With which he was girded, and I don't know if you can see it on the screen or not. But if you look at the passage in the NASB, you'll find asterisks next to certain words, right? And those asterisks are there because the translator is acknowledging that he is translating incorrectly on purpose for the sake of flow for the reader. Okay, so if if you read it the way it's meant to be read, it is it's John is doing what great storytellers do, and he is telling this in a way as if it's happening right in front of you, right? People who tell great stories, they draw you into the room so that you're with the characters as it unfolds. So it reads something like this. Jesus gets up from supper. He lays aside his outer garments, and he pours water into a basin. But the way he writes it, it starts to build momentum. y'all know who Stephen A. Smith is? Stephen A. Smith is a, is a sports analyst um, for ESPN. He typically does NBA, typically does NFL, um, and love him or hate him, Stephen A. Smith is a dude that speaks with passion, and he's a dude that can build into arguments and conversations, right? And so it, when, I, when I read this about the NASB, like immediately I couldn't help but hear Stephen A. Smith's voice in my head, and so now when I read this, like that's the only thing I can hear, right? And so... If Stephen A. Smith was going to read it, this is kind of what it would sound like. And those of y'all that know it, y'all know. And those of y'all that don't, YouTube, all right? But it it would be something like this. Stephen A. would be like, hey, y'all, this dude Jesus, this dude Jesus knows exactly who he is. And Jesus gets up from supper? What? And lays aside his garments? What? What? He takes a towel and he girded himself and he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet? What? Right? That's a bad impression. But that's how he would read it, right? That's how he would do it. He, it builds. John is building momentum. And why? Why is there momentum built here? It's because Jesus is blowing their minds in this room with what he's doing right here, y'all. This just isn't done. He's blowing the disciples' minds, and it unfolds slowly to the point where they're like, what? And why? Because washing feet was not that uncommon in this culture, right? There were lots of different scenarios where feet would be washed. But in every single one of those situations, it's someone who is in a low place washing the feet of someone in a higher place than them, right? Because it's, it's just gross, right? I mean, feet are gross. Everybody can admit that, right? But imagine feet that are walking on dirt roads in roads with no sewers, with animals roaming around in open-toed sandals, right? It's a dirty, dirty job, and it was reserved for the lowest of servants to um, take a posture of service to do it for people in a higher position. And what Jesus does here blows their mind because he flips the script on him, right? Jesus is in a high position, the highest position, and he comes down to the low position and washes the feet of people in a lower position than him. It just simply didn't make sense. And we'll see that from Peter's reaction in a minute. But in light of the gospel, it makes perfect sense, right? Think about it for a minute. What does Jesus do? Jesus is sitting in the highest position in the room as the host. He gets down out of his position, takes a towel, and takes the dirt and the filth of the people in the room with him upon himself, right? Upon this towel. And then what does he do with it? I bet you... It doesn't say it specifically, but I bet you he goes to the very last disciple, right, and takes that towel with all of the dirt from their feet and, like, lays it over that last disciple's chair, right, and then goes and sits back down at the table, right? If you're nodding along with that like it's normal, you're disgusting, right? And you need to look at your significant other and apologize because that's disgusting, right? No, it doesn't say it, but I got to believe that he takes on that dirt and that filth and he goes out of that room and removes that towel from the presence of that meal, right? And then what does it say he does? He removes it and comes back and assumes his position as host clean. Does that sound familiar to y'all? That is the gospel, right? Jesus in this act is illustrating the gospel. He comes from a high position down to a low position, takes on the filth, removes it and resumes his high position. This is the what. This is the gospel, all right? Second lesson, the so what. So in light of the gospel, so what are the consequences, good or bad, for us in that? But before we get into this next part, um, I want to make sure that I'm very, very clear on something, okay? Scripture clearly tells us That salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned by us. Yes or yes? Yes Yes or yes? Yes. Yes. Okay? Ephesians 2. Thank you, Tucker. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. This is not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God. Amen? Amen. Not as a result of works. Amen? Amen? All right? If it were up to us to earn our way to the Father, then there would be no, no need for Jesus to go to the cross because it's on us to earn it, right? But that is not the way it works, right? So please, please, please hear me clearly on this, that I'm not talking about earning salvation here. What I am talking about, the lesson that we learn here, is about humbling ourselves before the Lord and confessing our sins before him so that we may have fellowship with him, all right? So verse six, getting back into it, says he came to Simon Peter, right? And I love Peter, y'all. Peter, like, Peter catches a bad rap because we get to sit here 2,000 plus years later and, like, laugh at Peter, right? But Peter's a passionate dude, right? Sean said it a few weeks ago. Peter is a ready, fire, and then aim kind of guy, right? This is the same Peter that, like, um, takes Jesus, like, Jesus, and, like, moves him out of the way and takes a sword and cuts the dude's ear off. He's like, I got this, Jesus, right? Cuts his ear off. Jesus is like, Sorry, Peter picks the ear up, you know, sticks it back on the guy's head, right? But Peter is passionate, whether it's misguided or not, and I love Peter here, right? Um, So what happens with Peter and Jesus in this room? It says that Jesus came to Simon Peter, and what does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet, right? Like, I'm sitting in that room thinking as I read this story, like, here, what's happening? How does it unfold, right? So Jesus comes down out of his chair, takes his robe off, puts the towel on, and starts washing the first guy's feet. And I think everybody is kind of like, wait a minute, what is going on, right? And I don't think that Peter went first um, because of the way he reacts. I think that Peter is probably sitting in that room like this, right? Like he, he sees it happen, and like everybody, he's like, wait a minute, what? Right? And then he sees what Jesus is doing. He's going to go to the next one and the next one. And at that point, Peter's just stirring, right? Like he's sitting there in his spot and he's stirring. He's like, mm mm, right? Mm these, <laughs> these clowns are letting Jesus do that? Nope. Wait till he gets to me and sees what happens, right? See what happens if Jesus tries to wash my feet, right? And so what happens? He says he came to Simon Peter, and Peter says, What? He says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, Look, Peter, what I'm doing now, you don't get it, but afterward you will. What does Peter say? Peter says, nuh nope. Ain't washing my feet, Jesus. Ain't gonna happen, right? And Jesus, it's Peter, calmly says to Peter, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no share with me. The word here is meros. Jesus is saying, look, Peter, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no portion, Right? You have no seat at the table. You cannot sit at the table with me and fellowship with me if I do not first wash your feet. So Peter says, what? Peter says, fine. If that's the case, Jesus? Cool. But wash all of me, right? Not just my feet, my head and my hands. Have it all, Jesus. And here's the really cool part. What does Jesus say? He says, look, Peter, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but it's completely clean. Jesus says to Peter, I don't need to, Peter. You're already clean. Right? The normal for people in the culture then would have been to take one bath a day because water was scarce. And so they would wake up in the morning, they would take a bath and be fully clean, and then they would go about their day. Right? And during that day, they would get... Dirty, they would pick up stuff on their feet and everything else, and then they would come back at the end of the day, and before they would enter the house, they would just kind of freshen up, right? They would rinse their feet off, rinse their hands off, but they would not bathe again. Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the connection that Jesus is saying where, like, I, you, already, you are already clean, right? I need only to wash your feet. And this happens to us in life, doesn't it? Right? So we, we are clean, but then we walk through this life, and we get dirty, don't we? Right When we walk through this life, we pick up sin in our lives, don't we? And we need to have that stuff washed off of us before we can have true fellowship with the Father, right? Come to my house at bedtime, and you'll see junk, right? You walk through the bedtime routine at my house, and you're going to see me sin, okay? Like, you will see sin come out in me, you will see sin come out in our kids, and it's ugly, and it... it it just is, right? Because I'm a sinner. That's, what, that's how it is, right? But I will tell you, one of my favorite things in the world is the end of bedtime, right? We've got four kids. They're nine, seven, six, and five. One of my favorite things in the world is, that, is to settle in quietly and just snuggle up next to them in their bed and just talk, right? To have that sweet, intimate conversation with the kids where it's quiet, right? And it's just, it's just sweet, but we can't have that time when our hearts are just jaded by the ugly that just happened for the last 20 minutes and trying to get people into their beds, right? First, for that time to be what it is, to, for it to be sweet, we have to reconcile, right? And oftentimes, honestly, that means me apologizing to my nine, seven, six, and five-year-old as a grown man and apologizing to them and asking for forgiveness for them for the way I acted so that we then can have fellowship with one another. Does that make sense? Let me tell you another story to illustrate this, right? This is, this is a story about my man, Tucker, right? I wanna introduce you to Tucker. Um, this, is my, this is my man right here. Tucker is my seven-year-old son. Um, and he is, gosh, he's a sweet kid. Super kind, super respectful when he's on, right? But when he's off, Tucker can be a force to be reckoned with, okay? And he knows this. And, and one of Tucker's things right now is, is to turn off when I, when daddy is not home, right? He, he essentially operates in this state of rebellion for his mom, while dad is away, right? And what Tucker typically does next is the same thing that Peter does in this scripture, right? See, when I come home, Tucker wants to move immediately from this state of rebellion and into a place of fellowship with me, his dad, right? Tucker wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to operate in sin and then immediately fellowship with dad and the rest of the family. Peter wants to sit in the presence of Jesus in the upper room, but doesn't want to have his feet washed. See, Tucker first has to repent and reconcile. That's the point. If Tucker wants to have fellowship with me, his dad, he first has to repent and reconcile that behavior, that, that place that his heart was in before, right? To have portion with Jesus, Peter must first have his feet washed. How often do we do this with God? How often do we operate in sin and then at the exact same time want, expect fellowship and the blessings of God the Father. Jesus says that to have true portion, to have true fellowship, we must first rinse that sin off. Okay? What? Life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel. In light of the gospel, so what? So now we have access to in fellowship with God the Father, when we come with pure hearts. And now what? Verse 12. Now what? It's the call to action. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, You understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus here gives a directive to his disciples, right? And ultimately a directive to you and me. He tells them, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You should do as I have done to you. This is the now what lesson. In light of the gospel... And because of who we are in Christ, we are to take action, right? This makes what Jesus has just done in this upper room not just an example. It's not just a lesson, right? Jesus gives a call to action. Jesus himself acted in that upper room, right? Jesus didn't just talk to his disciples about being humble. He didn't just talk to them about loving and serving each other, did he? Jesus got himself up out the chair, right? Jesus acted. And we read in verse 15 that we also should do just as he has done. Um, In preparing for this sermon, I tried to come up with a dynamite example of someone who lives this out, right? And I've got a lot of people in my life, honestly, that fit that description really, really well, but I was just struggling to, to put words to, to articulate like what that looks like, right? And so I got frustrated one night and I, I went for a walk around the neighborhood. I was listening to some music and that's when the Holy Spirit kind of just smacked me upside the head and was like, look dude, this is the point right here, right? And the song that I was listening to is more like Jesus. It's the one we closed with last week and it says this, it says, you came to the world you created trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died. Your innocent life paid the cost. And this is the lyric that got me. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me with your love. Jesus, counting his status as the king of all kings, counted that as nothing and came to serve, to wash my feet and cover me with love. It's not just the action of foot washing that Jesus is calling us to in the scripture. It is is the action of coming down from our place of status, from our high place, down to love people well. And I believe that we can move mountains in this city. Y'all, I believe that we can move mountains in this place if we take this seriously and if we do it well and if we can humble ourselves. right? Because our culture right now tells us otherwise. Our culture tells us what? It says you take care of you first and then worry about other people, right? Our culture says that you do what makes you happy first and then everything else will fall into place, right? It says you do you, bro, right? But by taking off our priestly robes like Jesus did and by picking up a towel and getting our hands dirty, We're going to turn heads, y'all. Again, in trying to collect my thoughts in this this point, someone helped me in this by asking me a really good question. Um, He asked me, what does the greatest picture of serving others look like to you right now? And what came to mind instantly in that moment was showing up. Simply showing up for people. If you want to blow people's minds in our culture today, show up. Put time on your calendar for somebody who needs you and show up. For crying out loud, move something around on your calendar and show up for someone who needs you. Pick up the phones, make a phone call, send an encouraging text, right? Show up by praying for somebody in the moment instead of just telling them you're gonna pray for them. But if we show up, we're gonna move mountains, y'all. And when we do it, when we show up, And we show up again and again and again and again. And we do it with the right heart. When we show up again and again and again, not because somebody's looking, not because we look around and make sure somebody's watching, not to prop ourselves up, but when we show up again and again and again because it's who we are, with that consistency, your actions will then define who you are. And I know this because Jesus says so. Later on in the same chapter... In verse 34, Jesus commands us to love one another. What's the scripture say? It says this. It says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And how did we say Jesus loved at the very beginning? He loved to the end. Right? He loved to the end. You show up again and again and again to the end. And in verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, you show up because it's who you are, and loving people like that is what will define us as Christ followers. Let me see. Let me let me tell you why I chose to preach on. Thank you. Why I chose to preach on uh, this scripture today. Um, like I told you before, I work in the restaurant business. Uh, I'm a franchise owner of a Chick Fil A in Spring. Um, And about six years ago, when I got selected to be an owner-operator, I was given this statue. Um, And I was given this statue before I ever sold a single chicken sandwich. And now I know that that was on purpose. Because this right here is a statue of Jesus washing one of the disciples' feet. Um, And I was given this first before I ever sold a chicken sandwich because this has got to be the lens through which I operate right? And not just my business, y'all. This is the this is lens that I try to operate my life in, right? And I don't get it right every time, but when I'm doing it right, when I'm doing the husband thing right, it's because I look like this, right? When I'm doing the parenting thing right, it's because I look like this. And when I'm doing the leadership thing right, it's because I show up like this. And now, this statue sits in my office on a shelf um, and it sits in front of some awards for outstanding achievement in sales, right? And it sits in front of those on purpose, right? And there's nothing wrong with the outstanding achievement in sales, right? don't. Hear, Sean said it a few weeks ago, he said, it's, it's okay to have a plan, right? It's fine. We, and we all have them, don't we? We all, we all have plans and goals and things that we're trying to achieve. Mine happens to be selling more chicken right? Um, Yours might look like something else. Yours might be climbing the corporate ladder. Maybe it's becoming the executive vice president of something in the oil business, our whole church, right? Maybe, maybe it's raising picture-perfect kids. Maybe it's finding the perfect balance, men and women, of being the working parent and being at home. Maybe it's... Finding the husband, finding the wife, settling down in the suburbs and living the dream, right? I don't know. But the point is, is we all have them, right? We all have things that we're pursuing. We all have our proverbial awards shelf. But if we don't take that call to action that Jesus gives his disciples in that upper room to heart and make this the lens through which we operate, we're going to end up with a shelf full of metal and plastic, that has zero lasting impact for the kingdom. When your time comes and Jesus calls you home, what do you want to see at your funeral? Do you want to see a a table full of trophies and awards? Or do you want to see a room packed out, full of people and a line out the door, waiting again and get in and talk about how you showed up again and again and again to the end. That's where I want to be, y'all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for leading by example. And thank you for humbling yourself by coming down taking on our junk, burying that and rising again so that we now have life and that we now have access to and fellowship with our Father in heaven. Father, and I pray that as we go out of here today, Lord, I pray that we would show up for each other. There are people in this room right now, God, that need somebody in their life to show up. And there's somebody in this room that is that person in their life. God, and I pray that you would give us that posture of humility to show up, not because it's gonna make us look good, but because it's who we are in Christ. It's what you have commanded us to do. And when we do that, People see Jesus. They don't see us. They see Jesus, and that's what they need. They don't need us. You didn't need us, Jesus. You need our hearts. God, I pray that I would show up. I pray that we would show up. I pray that we would do it from a posture of humility, because that's what you commanded us to do. Jesus' name we